Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Welcome to today's show. I've got an incredible guest. Uh, This is part two with uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Tom D. Tommaso, 20 years in the U.S. Army. A lot of that was the Special Operations Command. He was one of the main characters in the movie Black Hawk Down and was engaged in the Battle of Mogadishu. What we're learning from him in the area of leaders and leadership training is it's some of the best I've ever heard. And he's taking the time to be able to Spend time with us for your benefit. That's what this boils down to. So if you, for some reason, didn't catch the first show, go back. Go back and listen and then continue with this one. So on today's program, we're going to talk about what leadership practices you need to know and learn about to become a better student, to become a better worker. Heck, you can apply some of these things as a parent and uh Maybe you're in ministry. You can be a truck driver. Leadership is leadership, not limited to the military. And uh, Tom, again, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you very much, Victor. I, I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Now, you're up in Maine and you're a secret hideaway, uh, but you got a nice fire crackling back there. What's the temperature up your way? Uh, it's, it was it was negative 20 in the morning. It's about negative 10 right now with the wind chill. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's warmed up a bit then. It, it has warmed <laughs> up. It's uh, having a heat wave in Maine. Your nostrils negative still stick 10. together, though, when you go outside. So it's, it's not too bad. Holy smokes. <laughs> Face mask for sure. Wraps. Yeah. Keep that moisture in. Yeah. It's uh, all about wool. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you were in the Battle of Mogadishu, and uh, your characters portrayed in the movie. How, how do you think the movie did, before we get into leadership practices, how, how do you think the movie did, I, you know? Yeah, it, I, I've watched the movie once, believe it or not. I believe it. And uh, it was weird because it came out, and I, I was at Fort Bragg at the time when it came out, and by the time I got a chance to go to see it, I was the only one in the movie theater. Maybe a good thing. Maybe yeah, a good thing. It, yeah, probably. Yeah. But it was very accurate in the uniforms. Uh, it was very accurate in the the things that occurred. But what Ridley Scott did, I believe he was the producer, he, he, he grouped a lot of the people together into Matt Eversman's role. Um, right. Matt would probably be the first one to tell you that, that, Hey, I really didn't do all that. And I wasn't even there at that crash site. Um, so I, I feel for Matt in a manner in that regard, uh, cause he kind of got stuck with that booger. Right. But <laughs> the things that were depicted in the movie occurred, but they, they, you know, they took an 18 hour firefight and, and put it into two and a half hour movie. So a lot of it was condensed. And I, I will tell you, it's times a thousand compared to what the media was and then what it was really like. I don't even know how to put a number on it other than times a thousand because, uh, and like we talked about on the first episode, you know, as a leader, I was a platoon leader and I ended up mm. at the first crash site. I was the, the unit of Rangers that ran to the first crash site um, to beat the crowd there. And again, as we were talking earlier, I saw things during that battle. I could talk for hours about the things that I saw men do for each other. 
And that to me was the first standard of combat. It happened when I was a first lieutenant in the army and I had the the pleasure or the misfortune of of going to combat in every single rank that I held in the military oh between goodness. Bosnia, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Africa. And I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned mm. so much. Mm. Um, and that's a lot of our curriculum is based on is I've got 20 star majors that I work with in DECO. And it's all about combat lessons learned and, and what folks can do in corporations, in the military and in first responders. Because again, leadership is about people. It doesn't matter about combat and Al Qaeda and military stuff. Leadership is about people. And that's what we focus on in our training. And uh, I will tell you that what I saw in Mogadishu and what I saw in Bosnia and Africa and Afghanistan and Iraq, it, it was very similar. Across all of those theaters, I saw things that were common. Such as? What, what would be common? I'll cut right to the chase. You know, we have this yeah. thing called leadership practices, and it's about five slides that we present on tangible things that people can do to build trust in their organization. Mm. You know, so the two most important things I would tell you to think about as far as leadership goes is trust and competence. Competence with a P as in papa, not fox as in foxtrot, right? So not confidence with a fox, but competence with a P as in papa. You got to be good at what you do. And, you know, if we're in the profession of service, whether it's be military, law enforcement or corporate, can you do what you say you can do? You know, a lot of people say they can do stuff, but can you really do it? Are you really what you think you are? Mm -hmm. So you got to be competent at your skill, no matter where it is, what it is, wherever you're at in the chain of command in the company, you got to be competent at your task, at your job. But then this whole trust thing, and that's where battles are won versus survived. When mm. units build an environment in the civilian world and in the military, when organizations can build an environment where people trust each other, and they can do anything. And that's what happened in Mogadishu. It was the first example of the leadership practice of build a team in your organization where people will do anything for each other. That's the first time I witnessed it, that, that leadership practice of how do we build teams of men and women in our communities, in our organizations, in our workplaces, how do we build teams of men and women that will do anything for each other? How do you do that? And we have a whole list of things called leadership practices. Mm -hmm. And one of them is a leadership model called Mission Men Me. And it's kind of a an unknown. You know, it's not written down in military doctrine, although I think it should, it should be. And the special operations community espouses this leadership model called Mission Men Me. The mission comes first all the time. That's why you're there. The mission comes first. Your people, they come second. Now, sometimes you got to put your people first. And what do I mean by that is you as the leader, you got to be the umbrella for your people. Sometimes you get that, that bad mission, that poopy mission guidance that comes down and you're like, man, I can't believe they want us to do that. It's not right. Maybe it's morally legal or ethically. Not really sure. I don't understand it. You owe it as a leader. You owe it to your people to go back to your boss and get clear guidance. So if you're a leader and you're not really sure what the boss wants you to do, or you may not truly agree with it, 
And you kind of owe it to your people and you owe it to your boss to go back and ask questions. And that's where the people kind of trump the mission in that regard. But the model that we're trying to teach is mission, men, me. Mission comes first, then your people, and then you. You come last. You eat, sleep, go home, enjoy favor, last. It has to be that way because the leader can't do anything by himself or herself. Your people have got to trust you. And uh, one quick thing about trust, trust is a three-way street. You got to trust your people. Your people have got to trust you. And then the third one is your people got to know you trust them. And that's where the sincerity of being a leader, that's why a, a true leader that cares about their people. And I think maybe as a commander, I think I cared too much. And maybe it was because mm. I was in an organization where I stayed in the same unit for 12 years. And mm. maybe that's kind of a double-edged sword because I became friends, dear friends. And, and that's what happens in combat. You know, when you have that level of trust and you're placing another person's life in the hands of someone else, you know, that's a whole different level of trust. And Hal Moore, Lieutenant General Hal Moore, he died in 2019, I believe. He was a personal mentor of mine. Oh. And, and he said it best, you know, people in the military don't fight for mom or what the president of the United States says or the flag or apple pie. They fight for each other. Mm. He said that. And he talked about trust in his book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, Lieutenant General Howard Moore, absolutely a must read for anyone who wants to be a leader, civilian or military. And uh, he talks about leadership practices. He talks about the level of trust and how to earn it. It has to be earned and it can't be earned overnight. But that's what combat does, you know, and and I will tell you a quick short story of, of an example of what happened in Mogadishu that kind of set us down on this leadership practices road. And, you know, one example is the leadership model of Mission Men Me. But the other one is an example that Master Sergeant Gary Gordon set. He was one of two Medal of Honor recipients awarded in the Battle of Mogadishu to kind of paraphrase it very quickly, you know, we had gone to the first crash site where a Super 6-1 had crashed in, in the city, and there were five Blackhawks that got shot down that day. Not a lot of people know that. A lot of people just think of the two, but there were five Blackhawks that were shot down that day. Super 6-1 got shot down. Super 6-8, the combat search and rescue helicopter came in and, and infiltrated the search and rescue team. They also got hit by an RPG and had to crash land back at the airfield. Uh, the resupply bird flown by Chief Warrant Officer Stan Wood, a dear friend of mine. He flew Super 6-6. He did the resupply mission about 8 o'clock that night. That aircraft got shot down. They crashed back at the airfield as well. Then you have Super 6-4, Mike Durant's aircraft that got shot down. That was the second bird that crashed in the city. And when that aircraft went down, we had one Blackhawk remaining over the objective, and it was Super 6-2. And on board that helicopter, there were three Delta Force snipers, Master Sergeant Gary Gordon, Sergeant First Class Randy Shugart, and Sergeant First Class Brad Hollings. And when that helicopter, the first helicopter went down, all of us moved by foot to secure the crash site. That was the plan. That was the rehearsal. We had to basically beat the Somali crowds there. When the second Blackhawk crashed in the city, Super 6-4 with Mike Durant, the crowd started building around that crash site. 
And we had one intelligence surveillance aircraft, a helicopter with a full motion video camera ball that was able to video and push the video recording down to the headquarters where General Garrison was at. And he could see the video of what was happening at the second crash site. And a lot of the crowd were starting to build. Well, a radio call came in from Super 6-2, which was the other Blackhawk that was circling around the objective, providing airborne surveillance and sniper fire on the initial target. So you had Super 6-1 and Super 6-2. Super 6-1 got shot down. Super 6-2 was still circling around. When Mike Durant's helicopter got shot down, a request from the helicopter pilot, Jim Yacone of Super 6-2, called back to the headquarters where General Garrison was at, requesting permission to insert the snipers into the second crash site. Well, permission was denied. We had already had three helicopters shot down, Super 6-1, Super 6-4, and Super 6-8. So three birds have already been shot down. We're not going to risk another one. A second time, a radio call is made because the crowds are starting to build at that second crash site. From Super 6-2, a radio call is made back to headquarters. Let's put in the snipers to secure that crash site because we don't have anybody else. All the vehicles are already being ambushed and on their way back to the airfield. We've already employed our first CSAR helicopter, Super 6-8. Permission was denied a second time. The third time, Master Sergeant Gary Gordon, the senior Delta sniper team leader in that Blackhawk, got on the radio, and he requested permission to speak to the actual. And what that mm. means in military terms is I want to speak to the actual commander. I want to speak to General Garrison. General Garrison got on the radio and he said, Gary, do you know what you're asking for? And Master Sergeant Gary Gordon said, yes, sir. We are their only hope. Mm. We are their only mm. hope. And that's what a lot of people don't know about what happened in that battle. And that was the leadership example that Master Sergeant Gary Gordon left for me that day. And I think that's the leadership challenge he left for everybody that day is how do you build a team of men and women that will do anything for each other? And there's no doubt in my mind that Master Sergeant Gary Gordon did not think this was a suicide mission to insert right. his three-man sniper team to into the second crash site. He didn't think it was a suicide mission. And I think that, and I know that because I saw that behavior again in Bosnia and Afghanistan and mm. Iraq. And that's what I mean about a leadership practice. And all the things that you can physically and tangibly do as a leader to earn trust on your team, because that's what it's all about. If your people trust you, they'll do anything for you. And again, and remember, trust is that three-way street. And I think the message and the leadership lesson that Master Sergeant Gary Gordon left for all of us that day was how do you build a team of men and women that will do anything for each other? And uh, you know, that's just one example. Tom, it's an incredible uh, story and example of that type of leadership. And those of you listening, take a personal inventory right now. Are you the type of person that is trustworthy to the, to the young person in the basement playing games, do your parents trust you? I mean, do they have a level of confidence that when they ask you to do something, you're going to do it? Uh, or do you have repeated failures of just not forgetting, but actually choosing not to obey, you know, an order or directive? Uh, I, I talked to the husband and wives. Do you have a history where your spouse, now we're talking about your marriage. Does your spouse trust you? 
you know, the, uh, are there passwords you're not willing to give up, uh, which creates that level of mistrust, non-trust. Uh, and that's a dangerous indicator for a long-term relationship. You're at work. Does your boss trust you? Do your coworkers trust you? Do they know you trust them? Or is there a level of uh, secrecy uh, because you're working so hard to not get caught of knowing that you're not proficient at what you do. Um, and I mean, it can go into your company, churches, just make the application of what we've been talking about today. Yeah. You know, in our profession, I would offer to you in our organizations and the, the type of people that you're surrounding yourself with, it ends up being a self-selection you got to have the intestinal fortitude and the courage as a leader to do individual counseling. And you got to lay it right out there in private with folks. If, if you got a, a person that's not meeting the standard for whatever reason, either there, it's, it's time for them to step down because it's just a physical hardship and they can't perform to a certain level. And it's not about them. It's about the mission. That's why the mission comes first. It's not about you wanting to be there. It's about, are you a liability to your mates? Mm. If the person is worth his or her salt, they'll self-select and sit this one out. I would tell you that there's two things that we never want to have happen in our profession of service. One of them is to be forgotten. Mm. And that's why I will tell the story about what happened in Mogadishu until I'm dead, because it has to mean something. They have to mean something for the families, the children, the mothers and fathers and the wives that have sacrificed more than what the soldiers have sacrificed. That's where the real sacrifice occurs is with the families. The first one is never to be forgotten. And the second one that crushes all of us is never to be found wanting of our mates. Just like what Gary Gordon said, you know, we're their only hope. And he's right. You know, those guys, they infiltrated, they surrounded that crash site and they defended that second crash site until they ran out of ammunition and were overrun. And you know what? One of those men survived, Mike Durant, and he's alive today because of what those two men did. Just that sense in your own heart of not wanting to let your mates down, that's what keeps people going, gets them through selection, but it's also what tells people when it's time to hang up the pistol belt as well. When people do certain things, they do want to be remembered. They want to be remembered for making a difference, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's why, as we talked about in yesterday's program, Sergeant Major Greg Birch went with me on that mission in Iraq. He put the mission first above his own personal needs and family. He put the mission that you offered to him first because he knew it was important. Yeah. And uh, something just came out in the New York Times very cool about nine moms and 12 children being reunited. And, uh, you know, we were the quiet aspect of that. We thank God he's, he's given us everything we need to accomplish and do what's right. So our guest today has been Tom DiTomaso. And listen, I know many of you watching and listening are just going, geez, how do I get more of this? And, uh, Tom, could you give them a, the, the website and how they can find out more about your company, which I'll offer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Victor, I appreciate that. So you can literally just, just go to the website 
d-co.us. So the letter d-co.us will get you to our website. Uh, like I said, our primary course that we do teach is what we call leadership planning and decision making. We have a a Mungadai leadership challenge for corporations and first responders and tactical teams to come up to Maine for four and a half days of a uh, leadership challenge, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Happy to help out. And I know you're running a similar program there with Jeff Teagues and Kenny Thomas there. I helped Kenny and I actually set up the first downrange, which is the civilian version of it. Yeah, send them up to Maine for a Mungadai or head on out to where you guys are at for a downrange. Oh, that sounds great. We, we sure yeah. will. Last question. We're all going to die. And uh, I, I often visit with guys who understand and have been there. So my question, what happens to Tom D. Tommaso when he dies? And why do you believe it? Well, I pray I'm going up to heaven <laughs> to be with my grandfather and my grandmother. I don't just believe in God. I, I know that there's a God. First of all, I was brought up with a very caring mom and dad. I went to church with my mother every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, got confirmed. Uh, my mom was Episcopalian. My dad was Catholic. And uh, so I started off in Episcopal church. And now I tend uh, practicing Catholic with my wife. My children are raised Catholic. Uh, I know there's a God. And the reason why I know it is, uh, man, I hope I don't get choked up, is because I'm sitting here today, Victor, and my children are here because of it. You know, when I was in the Battle of Mogadishu, seven of us initially ran to that first crash site and we were racing a crowd and we came around the corner and a crowd came around the corner and there was the crash site and a little bird had landed and evacuated some wounded men. And then we ran under the little bird and we pushed all the Somalis off the first crash site and we defended that crash site until five o'clock the next morning. And, and through the afternoon and pretty much very quickly, the remaining eight Men from Choctaw, led by Staff Sergeant Ed Yurk, one of my team leaders, linked up with us at Crash Site 1. So now we had 15 Rangers there. And then eventually the assault force in Chalk 1 and Chalk 3, where Kenny was at, they made it to the crash site as well, uh, not too long after that. And there was one point where, I don't know how to say this without being too graphic, but there was a, a, a bad guy on a technical vehicle shooting a 50 cal at the crash site. And I, I couldn't get into a position to return fire because I'm a right-handed shooter and I had to expose myself too much. So I ran across the street and engaged the, the gunman on the back of the technical vehicle. And as we were shooting, he was shooting at the vehicle. It's 50 cal rounds. I mean, those are big bullets and it's loud and, and it was it was scary. But I ran across the street, got into a position where I could engage and we were shooting at each other and I felt this arms wrap around me and pull me back. Just like that. I swear on the Holy Bible, on my children, I felt this embrace and it, it got to a point where it was so tight that I lowered my rifle and stopped shooting and it pulled me back and I was on the corner. And when I got pulled back, the whole side of the building erupted in gunfire. Had I been there one more second, I, I don't know that I would have survived that. And when it happened, my uncle Ralph, who his death was the anniversary of that day, believe it or not, years ago, my godfather, my uncle Ralph, 
he popped into my head. Now I'm engaging a man shooting at us with a 50 caliber machine gun. And my uncle Ralph pops into my head. I think he saved me that day. And mm. I, I believed in God and my faith well before that because of my mom and my dad and the way we were raised, but it just reaffirmed. And I spoke to God a lot that night and mm. uh, spoke to him a lot later on in the years to come and I prayed for the strength to make good decisions and to get the mission done, but mostly to protect our guys. I'm proud to say that no one, when I was a squadron commander, no one died on my watch, but we did the most missions and uh, mm. we did some significant ones and uh, it chokes me up to think about it, but there's got to be something else out there. I know there is. It's out there. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Powerful. Thanks for sharing your belief. And, and I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I do believe exactly as you said. There's a God, I believe in faith, and his son who made claims that, you know, if Jesus wasn't the son of God, he was either a liar, lunatic, or crazy. But thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for being transparent. That will mean a lot to many men and women listening. Because one of the things we say here is be tough, not hard. Be tough, but not hard. Because your heart will get hard and you lose capacity. Uh, to love and, and to be loved. So thank yeah. you for spending this time with us. And I can't wait to see you face to face. And uh, and I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. Thanks, Victor. Thanks for what you're doing with your organization. And uh, make sure you keep Jeff busy. No thank doubt. You for your time. All right. We'll Thanks talk to you the- soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time. 